0: Thank you, Ricky, for that ministry in music. We have been doing a study in the book of Jude that focuses upon false teachers that are going to be rejecting the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude verse 4 says, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Then there are a number of examples of such individuals that reject the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 11 of Jude, it says, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, And for pay, they have justified, they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So we've been looking at these three examples. We have looked at the way in which they have followed the false worship of Cain. How they have been motivated by the greed that is seen in the life of Balaam. And then they are going to perish as is seen in the supreme example of rebellion, that is in the person of Korah. Korah's story is told to us in Numbers chapter 16, and we have been in that chapter now, this being the third week. We've been focusing on Korah's life and what we're to learn about rebellion from his life. Two weeks ago, we focused on what kind of thinking leads to rebellion. And we saw that in Korah's life, it was these four things. First, he thought that he was being denied a position that was due him. He thought that he was being held back by Moses and Aaron from exercising some duties and obligations that were rightly his. So then he thought that the leaders were trying to selfishly accumulate power for themselves. He viewed Moses and Aaron as putting themselves forth, exalting themselves over the congregation. People who were proud, proud, arrogant, and uh, full of themselves. Third, thinking that leaders were established by naturalistic means as opposed to God's ordination. He totally overlooked the fact that these men had been selected by God. He was looking at things purely from a naturalistic perspective purely from a human level, and he was seeking to take them on in that fashion. And then lastly, thinking that his position was insignificant and not worthy of his talents or his, or his abilities. He thought that what his role was in serving God didn't really matter. He was jealous and envious over the prestige and honor that Aaron and Moses were manifesting, and he won that same kind of honor and prestige and was not satisfied with the responsibilities that God had given to him. Last week, we concentrated on the manner in which that rebellious spirit manifested itself. Out of his rebellion, he did three things. First, Korah sought to stir up strife. And that strife that he stirred up, we saw, began with just a handful of people. It began with Korah and then spread to uh, Dathan and Biram. And then it spread out to the 250 princes or leaders in the nation of Israel. And I stressed last week, and I can't stress it enough, that unity and peace in a church is first and foremost the responsibility of the elders of the congregation. That they have to be the ones who maintain peace and unity in the church. And these 250 princes failed miserably because they did not confront uh, Korah. They did not contend for the faith, which the book of Jude is telling us to do. They did not resist Korah, but went along with him. And then after they were able to get the 250 princes on their side, they were able to stir up the entire congregation. So, this rebellious spirit manifested itself in the spreading of strife. Secondly, that rebellious spirit manifested itself by an open opposition to Moses and Aaron. What started as rumors behind their back moved to now taking them on face to face and bringing accusations against them. It comes out in the open when they think they have enough people on their side to actually take on Moses and Aaron. And so they begin to oppose Moses and Aaron to their face. And then the third step is the showdown that takes place. And I likened it under the two gunslingers standing out in the uh, uh, roadway and the townspeople looking on at high noon. Well, now there's going to be a showdown between Moses and Aaron and Korah and the 250 Princes, We pick up the narrative at this crucial showdown and we look today at what is the most significant aspect of this narrative and that is the destruction that comes upon Korah, Dathan, Abiram and others as a result of this rebellion. Because in Jude what is emphasized is the destructive nature of rebellion. The destructive nature of rejecting the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that rejection of authority extends to the rejection of the authority that Jesus Christ establishes in his church. And how destructive that is to deny, to reject that authority. So what are we to do in light of the knowledge that rebelliousness is destructive to ourselves and others. How are we to contend for the faith as it is told to us in the book of Jude? What should we do when we encounter a rebellious spirit? Well, first, from our text, we are to distance ourselves from those with a rebellious spirit so that we are not destroyed along with them. We are to distance ourselves from those with a rebellious spirit so that we are not destroyed along with them. God warns Moses and Aaron to separate from the congregation so that Moses and Aaron would not experience destruction. Notice number 16.21. Separate yourselves from among the congregation. Why? That I may consume them instantly. So that I may consume them instantly. He wants, God wants them to separate from the congregation. In that separation, however, it is a literal physical distancing of themselves from uh, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. But it is not a just turning their back on them. For notice Moses prays for them, verse 22. But they fell on their faces and said, O God, thou God of the spirits of all flesh, when one man sins, will thou be angry with the entire congregation? And so God warns the congregation to separate from Korah, Dathan, and Abiram so as not to experience their destruction. Starting in verse 23. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They were to physically separate themselves from them. They were to distance themselves, as it were. They were to get away from them. In order that the destruction that was going to come upon them would not come upon the congregation as well. Then, verse twenty five, Moses arose and went to Dathan and Byram with the elders of Israel following him. Remember that in verse twelve, these leaders, Dathan and Byram, had failed to come up when Moses summoned them. Numbers 16 12. Then Moses sent a summons to Dathan and Byram, the sons of Eliam. But they said, we will not come up. Mo- Moses said, come here. And they refused to come. So, Moses goes to them. And along with them, the leaders of the congregation of Israel. They go down to where they live. Numbers 16:26. And he spoke to the congregation saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing that belongs to them, lest you be swept away in their sin. So get away from them. That is a constant refrain in this chapter. Separate. Distance yourself. Get away. So the first thing that we need to do for contending for the faith is to distance ourselves from people who have a rebellious spirit. We should not go along with them. We should not be befriending them. We certainly shouldn't be encouraging them. We shouldn't even be giving them an ear so that they have someone that they can express all of their grumblings and complaining to. We should distance ourselves. From those that have a rebellious spirit. Psalm 1 tells us that we are not to walk in the counsel of the godly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. We are not to associate ourselves with with those kinds of people. And the congregation initially heeds the warning, verse 27. So they got back from around the dwellings of Korah. However, the family of Dathan and Abiram stand with them. Verse 27. So they got back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the doorway of their tents, along with their wives and their sons and their little ones. So you can picture what's taking place. Moses and an entourage have walked down to where Dathan and Abiram live. And he calls them out. And he says to everyone, get back from these people's tents. And Dathan and Byram come and stand defiantly in front of their tents. But not only do they come and stand defiantly in front of their tents, but they come with their children, they come with their wives, they come with their babies in arms as they stand in opposition to Moses. So, Number two, we need to understand that to rebel against God's ordained authority is destructive in nature. That it is destructive to be rebellious, it brings all kinds of destruction personal destruction corporate destruction when there's a rebellious spirit in the church it destroys the church's testimony it destroys the relationships that exist among God's people it is destructive in the fullest sense of that word and so as we think about this destruction the first thing we learn is that Moses declares that he is acting on behalf of God and not his own volition. Verse 28. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds, for this is not my doing. This isn't what was in Moses' heart and mind. This was God's activity, and Moses was acting on behalf of God. Therefore, in rejecting Moses' authority, they were actually rejecting God's authority, since he was acting on behalf of God. Verses twenty nine and following. If these men die the death of all men, or if they suffer the face of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all its that is theirs, and they descend alive into shoal, then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. That's the key phrase. Then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. This is more than just about Moses and Aaron. It's about the rejection of God's authority. For God had established Moses and Aaron. So to reject them was to reject the will of God. And that was what the great crime was. That was what the great sin was. In rejecting what God's will was for their own lives. They wanted to be something other than what God had determined for them. And they took it out on Moses and Aaron. But their real issue was with God. That's why Jude uses them as an example. God brings judgment against Korah and the other rebels in a dramatic fashion. Numbers 16, 31 to 33. Then it came about as he finished speaking all these words that the ground that was under them split open. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their households and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. It is a sad state of affairs that the families of Dathan and Abiram are destroyed Along with Dathan and Abiram. This destruction was experienced not only by the rebels themselves, but their families. Their families. The rebelliousness of individuals is often borne by the other family members we are to see how the rebelliousness of the parents often results in destruction for their children those who never profess faith in christ and are adamantly opposed to christ often instill within their children that same hatred for the things of god the same ridicule the same mockery the same rejection and is passed down from generation to generation. And not only those who do not profess faith in Christ, but those who do profess faith in Christ and then become embittered and walk away from the faith. Those that give a lip knowledge and a lip observance to the things of God, but in practicality reject God's authority and walk away. Oftentimes you can see the destruction that occurs in their families generations i told you last week that i grew up in a church in which there was a lot of strife and turmoil and division where half the people of the church left eventually as i grew up i became the assistant pastor in that church and we got a new senior pastor and one of the first things he did when he came was he said cal you know these people that have left it's now about 10 years he said, I want you to go back and visit all of those families and see if there's any way you can bring about reconciliation. Invite them to come back. I said, okay. And I went and I visited every single family that had left the church. It was kind of painful to sit and listen to the gripes, the complainings, and, and the uh, things that took place. But as I sat and I listened and as I just observed, it was one of the most... Importing learning experiences in my young life and ministry. Because so many of them had just not only walked away from the church, but had walked away from their faith. They were going nowhere. They weren't involved in any worship, and the saddest thing was, neither were their kids. And that wasn't a decision their kids had made. That was a decision they made for their kids. And the anger and and the frustration that spewed out of their mouths around the kitchen table was having a profound impact on their kids. Learn the destructive nature of rebellion spreads. It's a contagion that brings destruction to others. So, What does God do? God establishes a memorial so that the Israelites would not forget the lesson concerning God's judgment upon the rebellious. They would not forget the lesson of God's judgment upon the rebellious. The congregation initially fears the judgment of God when they... Witness what has taken place. Verse 34. And all Israel who were around them fled at their outcry. For they said, the earth may swallow us up. Now, you've got to picture this in all of its drama. Moses has summoned the congregation to move away from the tents of Dathan and Abiram. The congregation moves away. And Moses says... If this is just about me, may these people die an ordinary death. But if this is about God and rejecting him, then may something totally, totally unusual occur. And because they rejected God, something totally unusual occurred. It was like a sinkhole. The ground just opened up and people, lock, stock, and barrel, fell into this this ground that was slowly overcoming them. And it says that they cried out. This word is the strongest word there is in Hebrew, to cry out with pain and anguish and emotion. The fear that must have just overcome them. It, it just, it's just incredible. What a awesome sight that must have been. What a frightening sight that must have been. And so, when the congregation sees what has taken place, they've already stood back. But now they're running for their lives, literally. They're fleeing. They're getting as far away as they can. When they see what has transpired, when they see the judgment of God at work, they're hightailing it now out of there. What caused them to hightail was the outcry. And so, what happened to the rebellious was to serve as an example to the rest of the congregation. Verse 10 of Numbers 26 says this. You don't need to turn there. It's a recounting of what took place. And it says, And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up along with Korah. When that company died, When the fire devoured 250 men. So that they become a warning. So that they become a warning. What happened to to Korah and Dathan. And Abiram and their families. Was to be a warning. In the nation of Israel. And it becomes a warning to us today. For Jude. Cites Korah as an example. Learn from what took place. In the life of Korah. Now. I really don't think. That we need to be afraid of the earth opening up and swallowing us if we are rebellious. But having said that, don't minimize what took place. First, it took place. We're not talking about a myth. We're not talking about a story. We're not talking about an anecdote. We're not talking about a fable with a lesson. We're talking about an historical act in which God, once and for all, shows his displeasure towards rebellion. God, in his mercy, yes, in his mercy, uses certain peoples and times and situations as an example. So that all ensuing generations would learn from it. For example, the flood that came upon the earth. And God said, I will never again bring a flood like that on the face of the earth. But so that we might understand what God, how God views iniquity, he sends a flood so that we might learn from it. God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. That's in our text in the book of Jude. And we looked at Sodom and Gomorrah. Not that Sodom and Gomorrah were, were more sinful than any other Peoples on the face of the earth. That's not the point. The point is there are people just like Sodom and Gomorrah. And here it isn't that the Korah and Dathan and Byron were more rebellious than anyone on the face of the earth. It's that we're to learn what God thinks about people who are just like them in their rebellion. We're not to think that Ananias and Sapphira were the only people that lied to the Holy Spirit and thus therefore died. But we are to learn that we are not to be like that. We are not to lie to the Holy Spirit. We are to learn from the judgment that took place. The judgment of God was illustrative of the ultimate and final judgment of God. It was not to be forgotten. Verse 35 of number 16. Fire also came forth from the Lord and consumed the two hundred and fifty men who were offering the incense. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, that he shall take up censers out of the midst of the blaze for they are holy and you scatter the burning coals abroad. As for the censers of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered sheets for a plating of the altar. Since they did present them before the Lord, and they are holy, and now these words, and they shall be for a sign to the nation, or the sons of Israel. Put these beaten censers over the altar for a sign, that people would remember. Verse 39, so Eliezer the priest took the bronze censers, which the men who were burned and offered, and they hammered them out as a plating for the altar. As a reminder of the sons of Israel, that no layman who is not of the descendants of Aaron should come near to burn incense before the Lord. They might not become like Korah and his company. They were to learn the lesson. There is much that is striking in this passage. There is much that is hard to deal with there is much that is unimaginable. And as unimaginable as the destruction is, you know, a a pit opening and people falling into it alive and screaming to their death and the ground falling in upon it, it, as, as hard as that is to picture and to imagine and to witness... These next words to me are the most incredible words in this text. Look at them with me, verse forty one. But on the next day, the day after this has taken place, all the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, saying, You are the sons who have you are the ones who have caused the death of the Lord's people. Man, the day before, they're running for their lives. And the next day, they are standing up and complaining and grumbling and rebelling just as they did the day before. How short lived the fear? How short lived the trepidation? How short lived the lesson about God's Judgment. How could you get over that in a day? But it shows the heart. The hard heartedness. Of individuals. And yes, perhaps. Even the hard heartedness. at times of our own hearts and minds. Where one day we are convicted. And we confess our sins. And we are committing ourselves to the Lord afresh and anew, and the very next day, it's like nothing took place. That that which we were so convinced of the day before, now means so little to us today. The commitment that we made for a lifetime, lasts less than 24 hours. Well, here it is in the life of the congregation. They blame what has befallen the rebels, not on the rebels, but on Moses. Verse 41 of Numbers 16. But on the next day, all the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, you are the ones who have caused the death of the Lord's people. They had failed to learn the lesson of the destruction nature of the rebellious They had failed to realize that these men had brought this destruction upon themselves. Moses said, if it's just of me, let him die an ordinary death. But how in the world could Moses have opened the ground and caused these men to fall in? It had to be an act of God. But in their rebelliousness, they were unwilling to submit to the authority of God. And so they accused Moses and Aaron. Of putting these men to death. Now, the Lord threatens to destroy the congregation for their rebellious spirit. Verse 42. It came about, however, when the congregation had assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. Again, the showdown. Again, the street in front of the saloon. Again, the two gunslingers. It is Moses and Aaron on one side, the congregation on the other, and they presented themselves against him. They are right back to where they were the day before. And so God says, Okay, I've had it. Verse 42. It came about, however, when the congregation assembled against Moses and Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting. Behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of the meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from this congregation. Again, separate, that I may consume them instantly. Verse 45. Then they fell on their faces. They interceded. God said, Get away from this congregation. I'm going to destroy them lock, stock, and barrel. But what Moses does is pray for them. That's the end of the book of Jude. Restoring with meekness and humility. How should the non-rebellious respond to the rebellious? Not by supporting them, not by encouraging them, not by getting involved with them, but by praying for them. Asking God that would spare them. Asking God that that they would deliver them. Moses didn't get caught up in a, a spirit of hatred and animosity. He prays for them. He does exactly the opposite of what he's accused of. He's accused of bringing about their death. When in reality, Moses is trying to do the exact opposite. And that is to spare their lives. So, Moses and Aaron intercede for the rebellious. Here we learn that important lesson that we are to intercede as well. We are to pray for our children when they are rebellious. And yes, we are to pray for our enemies. Even as Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And as a result of their rebelliousness, a plague... Starts to spread in the congregation. Verse 46. And Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put in it fire from the altar and lay incense on it, then bring it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone forth from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses had spoken and ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had begun from among the people. So he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he took his stand between the dead and the living so that the plague was checked. The congregation accused Moses and Aaron of destroying men's lives when in they were saving their lives. And they went out and stood between the living and the dead and were calling upon God for his mercy and deliverance, and they stop the plague. Here is an important lesson about contending for the faith. When we contend for the faith, oftentimes we're accused of bringing about division, but in fact we want unity. When we acknowledge that you must confess Jesus as Lord, we are viewed as narrow-minded as being divisive. Even as Moses was accused of bringing about death, but in reality, he was trying to preserve life. And as we contend for the faith, it is not to bring about disunity, it is to bring about unity. It is to preserve a oneness. Not a a false oneness, oneness, not a feigned oneness, but a real oneness. That is found in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. When we contend for the faith, we are often seen as mean with motives that are less than pure, perhaps arrogant, perhaps proud, perhaps wanting to exalt ourselves, wanting to lord ourselves over others, even as Moses and Aaron were accused. But in reality, they were trying to be the servants of God and to be faithful to the responsibilities that God had entrusted to them. However, Many people died in that rebellion. Verse 49. But those who died by the plague were 14,700 people. 14,700 people died the next day. Because they hadn't learned the lesson of the day previous. And now these words. Besides those who died on account of Korah. Who was to blame for this? Korah was to blame for this. It initiated itself in one person. Spread to three others. Spread to the 250 leaders in the nation of Israel and then spread to the entire congregation. And 14,700 people died because people didn't contend for the faith. Because people did not silence Korah. Because they had not dealt with him as they should. Because they allowed him to continue to have a voice. And perhaps thinking that they were being generous and and kind by not censoring him, it brought about the deaths of many. So many people died in that rebellion that rebellious spirit of Korah so what are we to do we're to be people who contend for the faith that contending is not to be contentious we're not to be mean in people's faces but it means that we're to be unwavering in our commitment To the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and a recognition of his authority in our lives. And we stand in opposition against any that reject his authority. We stand in opposition to their thinking. We don't go along with the way in which they process truths, quote unquote, where they see themselves as being denied a position that rightly belongs to them, or seeing leadership as being purely a naturalistic and humanistic outcome, as opposed to recognizing the work of the Spirit of God and the work of Christ in the life of the church establishing leaders. A failure to recognize the importance of one's own spiritual gifts and contributions. When people become dissatisfied and think that they're not being used the way they ought to be used. They're not receiving the credit they ought to receive. We need to stand and, and contend against those thoughts. When people express those things to us in loving kindness, we need to try to encourage them in the right way. As opposed to fanning the fires of rebellion. And then when we see that spirit manifesting itself, seeing that Strife being stirred up and, and spreading. We must be people who stand in the gap. We must be, be people who oppose it, especially the leaders of the church. The 250 princes, it falls on their shoulders. It falls on the elders of this church to maintain the peace and the unity by taking a stand when necessary against anything that would oppose that peace and that unity. They need to come out strong, they need to come out fervently, and they need to come out on the side of God. We contend for the faith by not standing with those that rebel, but distancing ourselves from them. But in distancing ourselves from them, that doesn't mean that we fail to pray for them. And we long for their reconciliation. We long that their lives are spared. We long, not just for our own vindication. Why is peace and unity in the church so dramatically or drastically important? Well, it brings the greatest glory to God. It brings the greatest strength to our witness by this shall men know that you are my disciples if you have love one toward another undermines our witness tremendously when there's not that love towards one another it makes everything we say hollow it makes us as hypocrites in this world it just undermines everything that we stand for and say when unity is not experienced and then to me one of the great tragedies is So often it's seen in the second and third generations. Of the children and the grandchildren. Who don't walk with God. Because of their parents and grandparents. And the attitudes that they have manifested. May God grant us a spirit of repentance. And I didn't have time to go in the next chapter. But the people finally do Repent. And they come to acknowledge Moses and Aaron as the leadership. And finally there is healing that takes place. And it's wonderful. And in the mercy and grace of God, healing does take place. There are church after church that's gone through all kinds of strife and division. And yet, eventually you see healing. Eventually you see people bringing together. Eventually you see the testimony being restored. Eventually you see the the work go forward. But sometimes it's a long, and difficult process. But God is a gracious God. But God is a gracious God. But learn the most important lesson of all. It's not about temporal things, it's about eternal things. It's not about physical life, it's about eternal life. And what we need to realize from the book of Jude is that the people are perishing for this false doctrine, not just in their human life, but for all eternity that when people reject the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are lost. For eternity. Unless they repent. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you reject his authority, something far worse than the ground opening up and swallowing up alive, an eternal damnation. An eternal lake of fire. And so when we see the rebellious, it should grieve us. It should move us in our hearts to pray and intercede for them and ask that God would spare them and do all that we can to help them. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your grace and goodness. And Lord, help us. Help us in dealing with the rebellious. That, Lord, uh, we would not be caught up in the spirit of rebellion. That we'd stand against it. We'd contend for the faith. And, Lord, as we do, that we not become self-righteous and irritable and self-vindicating and want to see their destruction. But like Moses and Aaron, may we intercede. May we pray. May we long for the restoration of those that would rebel against you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.